whether it is something you are aware of or not. Hell has fallen on some rather lean times in recent years. You see, when we get right down to it, it's not something that we really like to talk about. Once upon a time, the vast majority of folks actually believed that hell was a real place. It was a place where the wicked and the impenitent and the disobedient went when they died. And the very thought of the idea of a place called hell scared sinners straight. Once upon a time, preachers of the gospel would actually preach sermons on the horrors of hell. And they did this to persuade reprobates and sinners to turn their lives around and be straight. But you know what? We don't preach on hell much anymore. To talk about hell damaged people's self-esteem. And too often, preaching subjects about hell have a negative impact on attendance and income. So preaching on hell was bad for the bottom line. And so to be honest, in our day and time, the concept of hell and the word itself is most often nothing more than a convenient curse word. Or it's also used as a metaphor to describe some of the worst experiences of our lives. But the sad truth of the matter is that hardly anyone in our world today really believes that the word hell corresponds to any objective reality. I read the other day about a military chaplain who reported to a new post of duty in a combat zone. And when he got there, some of the soldiers came to see him. And they asked him, they said, do you believe in a literal hell? And this military chaplain told them quite frankly that he did not believe in a literal hell. And the soldiers, when they heard this, they asked him if he would please just resign. And he said, well, why would you want me to resign? He definitely wanted to know the reason. They said, if there is no hell... We don't need you. And if there is a hell, we don't want you to lead us astray. There are a lot of folks in our world today like that chaplain. They actually don't believe in a literal place called hell. I remember hearing of an old time revival preacher where a man told him one time, he said, well, I don't believe in hell. And the old revival preacher said, you not believing in hell doesn't raise or lower the temperature in there one degree. And then we've heard people say this, well, I just know that God is a loving God. And I can't believe that a loving God would send anyone to hell. And I want to say as kindly and yet as emphatically as I can possibly say it, 
Beloved, that is an inconsistency of the highest order. Have you ever heard someone say, well, how could a good judge sit on the bench and sentence a mass murderer to death for his crimes? You never hear anybody say that, do you? You see, the judge is not responsible for that man being sentenced to death. The man's actions are responsible for his being sentenced to death. God will not send someone to hell. If I stand before God someday in judgment, and my soul is condemned to the fires of an eternal hell, it will not be because God sent me there, it will be because of the kind of life that I lived or failed to live. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 16. I'll begin reading with verse 19. There was a certain rich man that was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus that was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot... Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he might testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one come from the dead. I don't intend this morning to elaborate on that passage in any great extent. But I want us to realize some important facts in that passage. Two men lived, and two men died. And their situation was exactly the opposite of what it had been. The rich man on earth became a beggar in hell. The poor man on earth became a rich man in paradise. The rich man here was clothed in purple and fine linen. In the next life he had a garment of fire. The poor man was attended by dogs, and in the next life he was attended by angels. 
The rich man fared sumptuously while he lived on this earth. In hell, he couldn't even get a drop of water to cool his burning tongue. The poor man suffered evil things here, but in the next life he was comforted. So what I want us to think about for a few moments this morning is hell. What it's like and why I don't want to go there. The Greek word from which we get our term hell is Gehenna. It's a word that actually is derived from the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And it referred to Gehenna. And it actually can be traced all the way back to a place in the Old Testament. It's a place that's in the valley of Hinnom, a valley located southwest of the city of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, the valley of Hinnom was the site of the child sacrifices to Molech. Molech, if you remember, was the fire god of the children of Ammon, the Ammonites. You remember from your study of the Old Testament, hearing the names Ahaz and Manasseh. Ahaz has the reputation of being the most wicked, idolatrous king of Judah. And Ahaz did not worship the God of heaven. He worshipped Molech, the Ammonite god of fire. Ahaz was one of the most wicked and idolatrous. Manasseh was actually the worst of the kings. Manasseh was the king who actually provoked God to anger. He also participated in the offering of human sacrifices to Molech. And so this valley of Hinnom soon took on the name Topeth. And that means a place to be spit upon and abhorred. And historians tell us that this actually became the garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. You ever been to the city dump when they used to have those things? Here in this garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem, like so many city dumps used to be, the fires burned day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the fires burned, destroying the garbage and purifying the atmosphere from the smell of rotten fish and decaying vegetation. In times of war, the carcasses of vanquished enemies would mingle with the refuse in the dump. Thus furnishing patriotic writers of that day and time a clue to the destiny of their own persecutors. This valley of Hinnom, this place toppeth, this city jump of Jerusalem was a site that was apparently well known to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. As I said, it was a place where the fires burned 24 hours of day. And because it was a garbage dump, worms were in abundance. It was a place that was horrifying to look at and just as horrifying to smell. And it was made even more horrifying 
because of its background and its history at the, as the place where innocent little children had been offered as human sacrifices. Now remember something about Jesus. Our Lord was the master of illustrations. And Jesus always used common, well-known, everyday things to teach valuable lessons. You remember He used salt and light to teach His followers about their influence. He used the lilies of the field to show that God was going to care for His children. That there was no need for worry and there was no need for anxiety. He used the illustration of the shepherd and the sheep to show us just how much God cares for all of us and to show us God's love for us. Jesus used Gehenna to relate to His listeners a place of horror. He wanted to describe for them a place that was as horrifying and as repugnant as the Valley of Hinnom. In fact, He wanted to describe a place more horrible and more terrible. A place where the fire is unquenchable. And a place where the worms do not die. You see, it is a place of fire. Here's what the Scriptures have to say. In Matthew 13, 41 and 42, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 13, 49 and 50, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet be cast into hell to the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes be cast into hell fire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Revelation chapter 20 verses 14 and 15. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
the biblical descriptions of hell, beloved. Those are God's way of telling us that hell is far worse than anything we've ever imagined or anything we've ever considered. And the nearest thing in our vocabulary is fire. I remember some years ago was the summer of 2011 when it seemed like all of Texas was on fire. I remember it was Labor Day weekend that year that Norm and I were on our way on Sunday afternoon to Spicewood to see Bryant. And as we got to Bastrop, they had the roadblock and they turned us around and we could see smoke on the horizon. And we had to turn around and go a different way. And so we called Bryant on our cell phone and we said we're going to be a little late for church tonight because Bastrop's on fire and they turned our car around. He said, okay. So I told him the route we were taking and we would be coming in on a certain road. And he called us in a few minutes. He said, Dad, you can't come uh, through Bee Cave to go to Spicewood. There's a fire on Highway 71. You're going to have to do this. So we had to go up to North Austin. Long story short, we were probably going to be to Spicewood originally about 5.30 and we got to Marble Falls about 7 that night. And all of Texas was on fire. And I remember that that particular weekend my cousin Mike was flying in to Austin from a business trip and he said as the plane descended Labor Day into Austin it looked like that all of the world was on fire. And all of us that experience that can remember it. Or think of the hot weather that we've been experiencing this year so far. How many days of the heat index being over 100 degrees. And I don't know about you, but that kind of heat's hard on an old fat man. Think about the last time you were sunburned. And what that felt like. Or turn off the air conditioner this afternoon and just sit in the house with the windows down and no air conditioning. Tell me what that heat's like and how you endure that. I remember about five years ago, Matt and Ryan were packing up to leave Bay City. And if you've ever been to Bay City, Texas, the humidity there is about 250%, 365 days a year. And it was about 100, 105 degrees. 250% humidity and the air conditioning was out in their apartment while we were trying to pack it up. Miserable. You think about all of those things and the misery of those. Those are nothing compared to the fires of hell that the Bible speaks of. And the figure of smoke completes the analogy. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? You see, not only is hell a real place, beloved, it's eternal. There was the one talent man, the unprofitable servant. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30, he's cast into outer darkness. And it's described there as a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And then there's another judgment scene pictured in Matthew chapter 25. Those on the left. In verse 46 of Matthew 25 it says, These shall go away into everlasting punishment. Who are they? Those who did not hear well done, good faithful servants. Paul would put it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through 9. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. What did you say, Paul? They'll be punished with everlasting destruction. That concept, the concept of everlasting destruction, that's a punishment of no hope. Over the years, it almost becomes comical and even somewhat amusing sometimes. To hear preachers at the end of a sermon tell what I like to call their deathbed stories. And try to illustrate how long eternity is going to be. And I remember hearing one time a preacher say, I want to tell you just how long eternity is. Picture the earth being made of a steel ball. And you've got just one ant crawling around the equator once a day. And the length of time it takes that ant to erode a one inch deep valley around the world of the steel ball eternity will just be beginning well how did, who can have a conceive of that or how about this one picture this building entirely made of wood and one termite only one termite and the length of time it would take one termite to destroy this building if it was entirely made of wood and why it'd just be breakfast time in eternity. Again, how do you conceive of that? A picture of ship with a 30,000 ton cargo displacement loaded entirely with English peas and you take those peas out one at a time and eternity hasn't even started. We can't fathom those things. If eternity was a set time, I might could stand that. I remember what it was like when I started the school. You've heard me tell this, some of you have. It was the greatest fraud ever perpetrated on a six-year-old boy, ever. Because all summer long, everybody, you're going to go to school in September. Are you excited about going to school? Yeah. You know, you're going to go to school in September. All summer long I heard I was going to go to school in September. And sure enough, we started school the day after Labor Day. And one of the first things that Sally Stalkup did was fix a calendar and show us how to count the days on the calendar. And I'm looking at that calendar and I said, okay. And I looked at the days and I saw that there were only 30 days in September and school be over. Because I was going to school in September. You talk about a rude awakening. I found out I had to go to school in October, November, December, 
January, February, March, April, and May. And I had to do it for the next 12 years and then go on to college. I thought I was just going to have to go to school in September. And I could deal with that. But I'm going to tell you, by the time I got through with my senior year in high school, I felt like I had served a sentence in eternity. But if it was a set time, maybe we could deal with it. But eternity is not a set length of time. Eternity has no end. It only has a beginning. And I'm not going to try to describe eternity for you as an ant walking around a steel ball. Or a 30,000 ton shipload of English peas being unloaded one at a time. I'm going to explain eternity in terms that most of us in this room can understand. Did you ever buy something on easy payments from Sears Roebuck? Now that is eternity. And that's something we understand. What about the danger of this place called hell? It's necessary sometimes that we be reminded of just how terrible hell really is. And just for your own information, I did some research before I prepared this lesson. And it's been about seven years since I preached a sermon on hell and I felt like it was time it's not something that I enjoy talking about it's not a delightful subject to talk about or pleasant to think about but if we ignore it we do ourselves a great disservice we do a great disservice by pretending it's not as bad as some folks have made it out to be and those that aren't living God's kind of life have a reason to be concerned. Because we read that scripture from Paul's Thessalonian letter a moment ago. God promised to take vengeance on those that know not God. Those that obey not the gospel of Christ. And in the very next verse, Paul tells us what happens to those who are disobedient. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. In contrast to that, those that obey God, those that live God's kind of life, are going to enjoy His presence in heaven. Revelation 21 verse 3 tells us that God will dwell there among His children and there will be no more tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, and no more pain. That's in Revelation 21, verse 4. The question I've always had and something I've never understood is why someone would purposely refuse to live God's kind of life. Why would someone voluntarily choose to spend eternity in a place called hell when they could have enjoyed the glory of a place called heaven? Sometimes in our world, we fail to see the bigger picture. As that old saying goes, we can't see the forest for the trees. And we get so wrapped up in this life that we forget God has allowed us to live to make a choice. 
You see, what we wear, what we eat, what we own, it doesn't matter in this life. What matters is where we choose to spend eternity. If we choose to do nothing about our salvation, the choice is already made. Peter tells us God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you made Him Lord and Master of your life? If not, I beg you to do that before you leave this building today. Have you done that? But somewhere along the way, you turned away from following Him? And you need to come and let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your world is like. But if you need to make changes to spend eternity with God in heaven, and we can help you make those changes, come and let us do that as together we stand and while we sing.